Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. I'm uh, super excited to uh, chat with my guest today. Uh, if you guys are tuning in for the first time ever, this show covers all things ideas, innovation, possibility. It's a word that I don't even use that word, but somehow it just came to me in looking at you. Yeah. Um, the you I'm speaking of is Janice Bryant Howroyd. Um, a lot of syllables. Can you say your name? Yes, I can say let's, my let's, name. I've been saying it for quite a few years. Janice Bryant Howroyd. Oh, oh, you did mm-hmm. so, so well. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. If, if people have been living under a rock of some sort, um, or you're at a dinner party and so somebody goes, oh, what's a, what's a Janice Bryant Howroyd? Well, how do you explain? What's the one-on-one? On? Well, first, let me tell you, this innovation crush is really awesome for me because I'm sitting here crushing on Chris. <laughs> uh, we're having a lot of, you know, uh, thank uh, you very a mom-son type of crush, a mom-son, you know, a lot of pride in what you're doing. I think it's just incredible. And it really does preamble uh, quite well into who is Janice Bryant Helroyd. Uh, if you'd asked me that question about three years ago, I say, oh, I'm the CEO and the founder of Act One Group. We are a workforce uh, solutions organization. We provide talent. We provide technology. We provide process. Uh, Today, when you ask me that question, I say, hi, I'm JBH. I founded Act One Group. We are the uh, preeminent workforce solutions company across the globe in a lot of areas, and we're growing in others. Right now, I'm really excited, though, because I'm also that chick who's showing up on campuses and working with a lot of millennials and Mm. next gens. And so, you see, I've evolved, Chris, since I saw you two years ago. Were we in Austin at South by Southwest? Yes. Yep. Yep. Stay weird, Mm. Austin, as they they say. But yeah. Uh, and you have you're not weird at all. Um, what? Oh, what prompted, I'm disappointed. You know, I mean, weird good, is good. Like, weird well, there's, is all, good. there's all sorts of different kinds of weird. Yeah, so yeah, I don't yeah. know who's receiving the information. Well, maybe we'll go with cute cray, huh? Yeah, yeah. Cray. <laughs> now it's a whole other territory. Um, <laughs> you're just laughing. I know, right? What am I? What are we going to talk about? So, what prompted that shift? Like, what what happened at that three year mark where you're like? All right, there's a the conversation is shifting a little bit in how you perceive your place in the You know, I wouldn't even uh delegated a shift so much as evolution. Mm. Uh, I think that I've always been that person I described today. I think I felt the need to cloak my public presence in more of the business and the development of the business uh and We've always had elements of why I can describe myself differently today as a part of how we've done business and a part of how I've lived my life. Uh, I mean, even in our company, we've always said uh, the applicant is the center of the universe. If you talk to anybody from Hmm. Apple One, that's what they're going to tell you. Now, I see a lot of companies today, Chris, who are speaking in a way that seems revolutionary for them around giving uh, the all bow down to the to 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 the applicant to the candidate but that's been our mantra and that's yeah. been our process from day one so explain so that. it's been evolving yeah. you, you feel me sure no and explain so explain that the applicant being the center of the universe because i think there's a very different perspective than most mm-hmm. of us have mm-hmm. in that in that regard mm-hmm. well you see in my industry where we're oftentimes placing talent with companies one by one Uh, It is the common practice to focus on the client company. Uh, They're the ones who get the jelly beans, okay? (laughs) In in our company, we've always believed that if we focus on the applicant, if we get that candidate, and those are interchangeable, if we get that candidate, that, that right, oftentimes they're interchangeable, if we get that candidate the right position, Mm -hmm. Not just based on their talent, Mm -hmm. but based on their culture, their personal professional culture. They're going to flourish and do well if they're looking for a full-time career. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're looking for an experience, an opportunity. It's going to be more of a program or an initiative that they're working on. And we place them thoughtfully 
with that in mind, as long as we're focusing on what the client, the mm. client as the applicant need is, then we're going to succeed in a way that the client company can benefit from. And for God's sake, if we're doing it well <laughs> enough, often enough, then that client can, a company person can buy their own jelly beans. I, lo- I love that this counterintuitive to, again, just the way we think about hiring or those sorts of decisions. It's usually like we're reverse engineering into some need, right? Yes, and especially- absolutely. At the speed by which the world is evolving, you've evolved in the last three years, but also, you know, with Act One Group having been around for close to 40 years. Yes. And that still being the philosophy that you enter the marketplace with where technology, like, oh, we need somebody who can do social media. Oh, we need somebody who can code or we need somebody who can, you know, spell. Like, <laughs> whatever. Right, right, whatever. right. Um, how... I guess, how is that still sort of the staple and how do you get people back to that focal point of the applicant when, you know, when in in that process? Well, for us, I think that we are having a lot of the applicants being the champions of their own need as well. You see, we've always understood that in some ways we are the agent for the applicant. Mm-hmm. You know how an actor has an agent or an athlete has an agent. Uh, we are the agent for, uh, for the applicant. And so, Word of mouth has been tremendous about how we operate. And I think that when you look at it from a global perspective and not just a local, local meaning local to the United States Mm -hmm. perspective, then you'll come to understand that there's a great value in it. I'll give you an example of why it's really important to focus on the individual Um, You are a student of history to some degree, and so you will understand that unions were formed across the world, not just in the USA, when companies weren't taking care of employees the way the employees wanted to be taken care of. And uh, while there is a cooperative spirit about how unions and companies work across the globe in some ways, there's also that, you know, kind of discontinent feeling uh, (laughs) that exists as well. Well, when we are the agent for the applicant and we're making sure that we're putting people in the right positions at the right time in the right way, then we are... Uh, enabling companies and applicants to work in a very fluid and a very, um, yet a very methodical way to achieve each other's goals. It's, it's, it's so exciting. And you talked about the technology. Sure, our technology does give us a lot of predictive mm-hmm. analytics and enables us to uh, be very prescribing in how we're working. But at the end of the day, and this is the point I think you're getting to, at the end of the day, there is still that human need that has to be met and how we do that by focusing on the applicant versus the company, I think has been incredible for the company. And, and well just to put that applicant. in perspective, you know, could, do you mind listing out a few of your key clients? Cause it's, I mean, I know there's Delta is a huge one, but like, what's, what's that? Now, like you're price? saying that, but I do sign contracts with my clients. Yes. So I want to be very thoughtful here that it, and, and put it this way. If you look at the fortune 100, mm-hmm. you can pretty much guess that we're doing business with 50 of them. But I do want to make sure that I have the permission of my clients to talk about the relationships we have with them. I think they're bragging about us and they do that handily. <laughs> right. uh, you can hardly go to any industry uh, uh, event uh, and find our clients there who aren't bragging about us though. And I think that's another way to answer your earlier question that our message is getting out of there. I remember once we had a, a, a CEO and this isn't that long ago. We had a CEO of one of the major utility companies in the nation at a, a at a utility industry conference, an energy conference. And she was asked, how are you achieving your diversity goals so handily when the rest of us are struggling? And she looked out to the audience and she said, candidly, because of that company. And Mm. she pointed to me as the CEO of the Act One group. (laughs) And she said that we had helped her in so many ways, not just by us being a client to them, but we're bringing those diverse suppliers underneath our programs to her. So she's not, uh, she, she, she's not losing any of the benefit 
or any of the innovation that occurs from having multiple uh, providers, but they were all aggregated under our solution. And so it was thrilling for her. And I have to tell you that we uh, were able to assume two other clients just from that one mention. So that's another way it gets out there. There's a saying, Chris, that you can do well and do good at the same time. Absolutely. And I think that we are really living that example right now. And people are wanting to talk about us. We don't uh, invest um, a lot in advertising our business, you know, um, and our clients are doing that for us. And whether it's a client company or a client candidate, it's very exciting for me when it happens. That's really great. You know, uh, twice you've sort of you've mentioned the CEO role. I watched an Instagram uh, video you posted recently and you said, (laughs) you know, the last time you had been at the Red Cross, you were a clerk. Yes. Now you're returning yes. as a CEO. Yes, you saw that. I did. <laughs> I did. I have a very deep research team here. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm wondering, like, what was what happened at that point in time? Like, what were you looking for? Because this all feels very serendipitous how it happened. But what were you looking for at that point in time? And then what found you? Okay. When I was at the Red Cross, first of all, I was looking for myself. And I think back then we used to say it was actually a a day-to-day conversation about finding yourself. Remember, Chris, I, 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 I... I'm a hot young chick, but I just got a lot of age, right? <laughs> you still got it. <laughs> and so, so yeah, we used to uh, we used to go finding ourselves, and um, my mom and dad were great uh, in helping me to steer back on track to you know mm-hmm. have that happen. And working at the Red Cross was a way for me to explore myself in the nation's capital to do work in an organization that, from my understanding, was out there helping people in critical need uh, situations. I remember, uh, Chris, that I worked in the Armed Forces Reporting Unit, and we did very valuable work because we were connecting families with uh, Armed Forces members. We were connecting not just uh, products and and, and goods in disaster periods, but also service and connectivity uh, for people. And so it felt really wholesome toward what I wanted to be doing. And um, I actually at that time thought that I would career up in the Red Cross. Um, so then the transition happened, though. Right? I went so. on vacation. <laughs> it never came back. <laughs> I'm still on vacation, Chris. <laughs> still, still on I'm vacation. still on vacation. Yeah. Decades later, you're like, uh, you know, I, I forgot I was supposed to be back there, you guys. <laughs> um, so you went on vacation, and then, yes, um, uh, you were at Billboard because of your brother-in-law. Tommy Noonan, God bless Tommy him. Tommy Noonan, woo. Uh, Shout out. I was going to raise the roof, but nobody would see me do it. Uh-huh. Um, and then... And my sister, Sandy. But here's what I like about what you did at that point in time. You did something you didn't necessarily have permission to do. Yeah, I was acting up. Right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so, where did that come from? Uh, is, is it because of the large family? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, you're like, I'm going to just change this. Like, nobody... Well, 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 look, when you're number four in a family of 11 children, you do learn to raise your voice a little bit, right? right. Whether you do that literally or figuratively. Uh, I will say, though, that uh, all kudos to mom and dad, mm-hmm. because I've said it many times, 11 kids, one mom, one dad, and each of us have felt, you know, spoiled in some degree as an only child. Um, to answer your question directly, I remember that um, back in the day, we used to go to church a lot. And uh, at Easter time, we'd all say Easter speeches. And I had the longest Easter speech of anybody in my uh You in, don't say. In my class. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying, I'm saying. You don't say. Right? And I had it down and I did it well mm-hmm. at home. And it was time to do it on Sunday morning. And I kind of froze. And I, mommy, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And I remember my mom pushing me out on, onto the, uh, um, quote unquote stage at the church. And she said, Janice Elretha, she said, in order to be outstanding, sometimes you're going to have to stand out, get out there. Mm. And I've always had this concept of team player. I share with employees, uh, uh, at a, at one of our conferences a couple of years ago, and I saw faces of surprise when I said, you know, I've lived my life for so many years as a Bryant. I never knew how to be a Janice until Hmm. recently. 
our family was so tight and so uh, supportive of each other. And everything we did was around the team con- concept that it took me being an adult and very late in my career. I was a CEO in my career mm-hmm. before I actually found Janice. I was very happy, very motivated, and very comfortable being a Bryant, even mm-hmm. as a married woman with Halroyd on my name. Uh, my husband loves to say, um, you know, you always say the Bryant louder than the Halroyd when you give your name. <laughs> so, 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 you know, that branding, that, that, that identity that I have as a member of a family has been very strong for mm-hmm. me. And it's only recently that I have started to explore the Janice in it. But a little bit of reverse engineering. How does the family aspect or approach to the things you do and how you see yourself play out in how you operate a business? Well, there are so many and two of them to share with you are, number one, I have a lot of family in my business and they have been critical to my ability to grow my business. Now, there are a lot of family members in the Act One group who are literal family members. Literal DNA family members because our our family, there are people who've been in the Act One group who've worked for 30 and 40 of those years you talk about who are as intimately engaged in the success of Act One, whether it's Apple One, Agile One, HX, the various brands underneath the Act One group. These people love this organization and we love them. And uh, we celebrate, you know, births and marriages and children and buying homes Mm -hmm. uh, together. So, you know, I I can't talk about family without talking about the people in the company who are making that up. My my chief of staff has been with us under very many different scenarios in Mm. the growth of our company. He is definitely family. David, um, the people my mom and dad gave birth to are also critical to who the company uh, is. And they've been there from day one, whether they've been there as employees or whether they've been there as family members helping employees. And um, they have uh, an etiquette and they have a protocol that is very understanding of where their role is in a company where Every individual needs to see they have an opportunity to grow and they see no barriers to their growth. And so family members don't stand in the way of people's growth, but they've definitely been the platform for so much of the growth of the company. And I, I couldn't sit here and talk with you today were it not for the support of many of my DNA family members who came into the organization and not just helped me at critical times, but have oftentimes offer some of the best innovation we have that's awesome um when i when i hear that i also think of just about the and people don't think that a lot about black families either you know i mean this isn't the subject of your your, right famous Mm -hmm. yeah but 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 Uh, i mean and and i gotta give my mom and dad kudos on this chris you know now three years ago i wouldn't have said this today i'm saying this i'm giving my mom and dad kudos because i'm talking about a family who bring a lot of support work together and you don't have dirty drama behind it yeah you know and so well, that's a blessing a that family, i got to right? shout like, out that's about the, that's the other thing like when, yeah. when it's such a large family like I, I i had a chance to e- uh email i did email him but i also interviewed mm-hmm. uh miguel mckelvey the mm-hmm. founder of um we work mm-hmm. and one of the things we talked about awesome was, organization yeah awesome organization <laughs> and you know speaking of dna or just mm-hmm. how your personal dna goes into the the company um, you know, he grew up in sort of co- a communal style living, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like his mom and her couple of friends and mm-hmm. there was like five or six kids between them. They shared mm-hmm. resources and rides mm-hmm. and clothes and food. Um, and that's very Just much like the my ethos, DNA family right, did. It's the ethos mm-hmm. of what we work is, right? And and so this focus. You go there, you the see update. that. It's yeah. evident there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so at, when did you know, this, and just for the sake of the audience, when, when I talked about you breaking the rules earlier, um, that was sort of like your brother-in-law went on vacation you sort of retooled some things as, yeah. as a temp yourself mm-hmm. um but when did you know that you were on to something like uh, what was that first sign of success or significance in what you were doing so key and 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 and, and, and you're so on point chris my brother-in-law knew before i did uh but for me to know it 
was late after I'd actually started my company. Because when I started my company, I didn't start my company with visions of being the, you know, significant workforce solutions organization in an industry. <laughs> um, I couldn't have even worded that when right. I started my company. I was just placing people. Okay. I was giving people an experience I'd not found for myself in the process of job search. Uh, but I knew I was onto something when I was sitting in my office on Hawthorne Boulevard in Torrance and um, my sister Sandy was helping me and she said, oh, listen, had it not been Sandy, I wouldn't have believed it. She said, Gwen Moore wants to speak with you. I said, what do you mean Gwen Moore wants to speak with me? Now, for little black girls, Gwen Moore was a shero simply because she was an elected congresswoman mm-hmm. in the state of California. For business people, Gwen Moore is a shero because she wrote and led the legislative effort to have an inclusive supply chain in utility companies. She said, ratepayers should be represented mm-hmm. in your procurement. And so I knew her from those two areas and I couldn't believe that this important person wanted to talk with me. So I handily said, yes, when I did talk with uh, Gwen Moore, she came in fussing, <laughs> you know, hand on your hip, mm-hmm. head wagging. She, fussing. Was she was acting up. And she <laughs> said, she said, uh, Janice. I've seen you out here and I've supported your effort and I admire your company, but you need to do something. And I said, excuse me, you need to go get yourself certified. Now, I'm from the great state of North Carolina. So, you know, when you certify, we certify beef. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I'm like, right. Tarbor. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, Chris, the bottom line is Gwen led me toward a different direction than I had thought I should go. I was doing very well. Thank you. Um, as uh, around a $10 million company, highly profitable, placing people, mostly full-time placement. And um, I wasn't really interested in hearing what Gwen had to say at first. She sat down and in short of 20 minutes, she had me in tears understanding Mm. the value, the need, and the criticality of getting my company certified to do business uh, as a woman-owned and a minority-owned company that I never broke before. I honestly thought if I'm good enough, I'm going to get the business I want and I'm going to grow and I'm doing very well. And she helped me to understand it's not just for you. We talked earlier about doing well and doing good Mm -hmm. at the same time. She said, even if you didn't want to expand your business around uh, certified uh, areas of opportunity, you'd need to do it for the other companies who've not reached scale that you have and to be able to be leading and guiding for them. And there's not one instance anywhere in the more than 22 countries we service across this globe that I do business with a supplier that we add one. And I don't think about that day Quinn Moore walked into my office and told me off. And is that the first time you felt a responsibility? I mean, you know, a lot of times when you Google, when I Google your name or when one does, you know, there's a lot of first black woman dot, dot, dot. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, I feel like sometimes it, there's like, I just want to be Janice. And then there's times where I was like, OK, now I'm in this trail. Like, I need to You're carry the it. shovel. Yeah. Like, what, mm-hmm. how do you balance that out if, mm-hmm. if that's mm-hmm. true? And, and, and the answer to the first part of your question is that the first time. No, I grew up in a service mentality home. So we saw service as the work of God. And that has continued to be thematic for me as I've lived my life. Um, What Gwen did was she showed me how uh, changing the instrument of my business was of a great service as well, not just the charitable service that I offered as a benefit or an outcome from the business I was doing. She really changed my mind on how I was thinking there. And I think that kind of gets to the point of the question you're yeah. asking. And even along those lines, I mean, you've continued that. I mean, as your business has grown, as you've grown as a personal brand and, you know, just expanded your reach, you've worked with and alongside presidents and the FCC and every organization probably has a JBH like in it on its website somewhere. Um, why continue to expand, especially in those, uh, let's call it the upper echelon of, you know, uh, your own brand presence and, and power in that, in that arena. Some of the 
best relationships I have on a personal level. Let's, let's, let's understand that we walk in about the business and that has to happen, but some of the best relationships, some of the people who I call that non-DNA family, those, you know, and girlfriends and guy friends have occurred for me through organizations like WeBank. Pam Easton is running WeBank in a, a, a way that is so dynamic around celebrating uh, the not just the opportunity for women to grow their businesses, but she opens it up to new and innovative thought that uh, her members can bring. I remember uh, just short of a maybe three years ago, I was sitting in a meeting and we were discussing at the uh, at the board level what next we need to do in WeBank. And uh, everybody rallied around the idea that we've got to take care of the next generation. Now we have a next gen organization that I sponsor within uh, WeBank. I'm one of the sponsors of. And it's such an exciting thing that we're doing. We're going to be having an event in North Carolina coming up. And those kids are going to be running around in t-shirts with, you know, my logo go on their mm -hmm. on their shoulder uh and it's all about supporting stem you know for for women <laughs> right. and so 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 when you talk about why continue to do this and why continue to engage that's one example of many nmsdc national minority supplier development council incredible work one of the first organizations i ever joined and became a corporate plus member and that was way back in the day when a, a woman named uh harriet michelle was leading nmsdc and ray jensen and a Ford Motor Company was investing not just time and attention, but dollars from Ford to support that uh, minority firms got right. opportunities in companies. Women president owners, Marsha Firestone out of New York. She works uh, incredibly, incredibly. Incredibly <laughs> successful for supporting women, and she is affiliated with uh, WeBank. So there's the connection there. So we're going to ask you because I know mm -hmm. you can keep listening. For I the next keep 45, listening. Five I minutes. mean, yeah, <laughs> but, we connect. NGLCC, <laughs> you know, um, National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce. How easy is it for you, and is it just part of like who you are to connect those dots? Right, I feel like a lot of people are well resourced. But not everybody has the ability to connect the dots when it's time to connect them. Um, how, how does that operate for you? I think because I come from the head and lead from the heart, hmm. you know, um, and that is not something that I discovered. I think it is something that mom and dad really exampled for us mm -hmm. as we were growing up. These organizations, I have to say, in and of themselves right now in their current uh, iteration are led by some incredible people as well. So these are people you want to know. You know, Justin at NGLCC is somebody you want to know. You want to know him right. because he's a great guy, you mm -hmm, know. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you get into the work of what that organization is doing. And I will tell you, um, I look at where, to go back to my core work, where mm -hmm. talent, where the workers of today are, who want to be able to enjoy their careers, whether they're going to do that as an employee or whether they're going to do that as an independent contractor, whether they're going to do that as a customer to a company. We can work with them in all of those ways. We don't just find individual talent. But the, 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 the theme, the thematic commonality I see amongst all of them is that they want to be associated with companies who are investing in things and opportunities and uh, initiatives that they truly care about. And so the organizations I'm talking with you in many ways are corporations, best friends as well. You know, they are making sure that we're doing things in a way that enable full communities right. to thrive. And, um, I know you're about the community and I'm about the community and the community by definition is very different than when I started my Absolutely. company years ago. If you ask many of, uh, you can ask my own kids uh, to describe what their community looks like and they're going to give you a much broader and a much more thoughtful answer than had you asked either of us that 40 years ago. Absolutely. You know, um, and many of us live in more than one community. Yes. Well, and that's all. I mean, there's, a, there's so much to unpack with you. Um, so <laughs> you you mentioned sort of these different touch points and what communities look like, what employees are expecting, what companies are expecting from employees. There was a quote you said, and I was looking for it in my notes, and I write too sloppy, so I'm going to botch it. <laughs> um, but it was something along the lines of like, if you're not a data-driven organization, you're not an organization. You're not in business, right. Um, <laughs> the data points have also shifted. 
Yeah. So what, you know, what sorts of new data are you looking at, especially when it comes to like qualitative, you know, like emotional intelligence kind of data, which right. I don't think we looked at, you know, uh, 10 years ago, really, you know, and let alone when you first started the business. And, and you want to be very thoughtful, Chris, about how you use data as well, because, sure. uh, you know, every coin has four sides and two of those can be a positive or a negative. And when you think about data, uh, predictive analytics are very helpful to companies and they can help uh, plan in ways that, you know, never before they were able to. However, you want to make sure that you're very thoughtful about how you're engaging that when you're talking about people because of two things. Number one, you want to respect people's rights. So mm -hmm. how far, how deep do you go into it as an employer? Okay. Um, and then the second thing is people are always changing and shifting. So I can give very definitive uh, information about how you're going to respond or how you're going to proact based on where you are right now. Right. You can walk out this door, have an experience, and all of that data is for nil because now you have changed. So yes. we have to be very thoughtful when we're integrating uh, uh, data and, 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 and other advantages of technology into our thought process. We're never going to get away from being human. Is the point I'm well, making. Also, and there's also like gut is a big part of decision making processes, right? Like mm -hmm. despite what the data shows, I mean, inventive spirits have gone against the grain mm -hmm. since the dawn of time. How often have you in your young life said, wow, I surprised myself or why did yeah. I do that? Yeah. You know, that's a data more, shift for you. That? That's a data <laughs> shift for you. Yeah, yeah. You, you get you, you get what Absolutely. I'm saying. So. Um, uh, every time I think of the title of the book, I go, act up. You can get smacked up. Right. <laughs> I, you should, you should, I think you should do a deal with the city girl. Okay, that's all. Okay, up. all right. Okay, um, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. So, uh, no, I, I, I mean, all this wisdom is kind of poured into, you know, a couple hundred pages. Mm -hmm. Um and I, I actually did think, though, Chris, uh, for, 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 for a brief moment, that a lot of what I look to share if I could sit down and I could work with an artist to actually put that into song, it could be very, um, you know, when we look at when uh, good revolutions have occurred from a societal or an, or, or, or an economic perspective, they've all come on the wings of song, right? Bob mm -hmm. Dylan wrote songs. On the, the wings of love. Them. Yes. Yes, Only the you know. two mm -hmm. of us. Right, you got to sing that one because you can't sing the. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> I believe I, I, I can I fly anymore. That ain't allowed anymore. Yes, right? yeah, no, you, you know, poor but guy. but but you get or we shall overcome or yes, you know yeah. oh oh and think about the sixties all the songs you know mm -hmm. around movement the movement songs the great movement songs but I did think that uh, we don't need to have a movement to have great songs I did actually think about sitting down with an artist and just writing songs that help with pe people with their own experiences because you never can have too many love songs mm -hmm. but actually having those love songs go in in, in a deeper and, and a more definitive direction around how people lift themselves up and gonna, not gonna, just a great society movement no absolutely I was going to say I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of humble brag so mm -hmm. for my book because it was kind of rooted in a lot of the interviews I had done uh -huh. I reached out to those people and asked them who their favorite artist or album was yeah and we put together a mixtape mm -hmm, with a good friend mm -hmm, of mine mick mm -hmm. who's a super well you didn't ask me yeah you weren't on the you hadn't been on the yeah, show yet yeah we, it was uh -huh. uh, it's been a long time coming so who gave mine who gave my answer no you i don't have your answer yet. i'm telling you my answer what is it uh well a lot of people say intervision stevie wonder but mm -hmm. i gotta lean back to marvin gay what's going on when you listen to those songs mm, yes. and you listen to today they layer on top of the, each other as if he wrote it last night it's such a i mean this is a, a, a tangent but it's just like to me it, it speaks about how history repeats itself Absolutely. you know and and maybe I'll, here's what here's what i'll do because i'm a good interviewer um what cycles have you seen leave and come back in the you know the time that act one group has been around in terms you mean of other than my shoes <laughs> well, no, 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 you're laughing because yeah today. actually you're on point there uh, because, no, I... be, 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 because you know I, I i'll go into rooms uh i was at morehouse uh two or three days ago and i walked into a room and the, you know young girls will walk up and young men and at my as a matter of fact not I, I gotta correct myself I mm -hmm. was at uh I was at um 
Federal Reserve speaking from stage. And, you know, these are bankers, right? Yeah. And this one man, uh, he looked to be somewhere between 35 and 55 and white guy. And he asked his question and question answered. And then he told me, and you look, I forget his exact words. You look, what were his exact words? You look so awesome uh, right, or, right. you know and he was like going on about my outfit and i was wearing animal print i was really wearing it it wasn't wearing me right <laughs> i saw that actually I saw and he, went, that. Yeah. he went off he went off like how incredible i look you know but my point is uh, uh, aside from clothes uh clothes say a lot about where the world is at mm-hmm. any moment as well you know we wore big shoulder pads during the uh second world war and women were out lifting and 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 and, and hauling with big shoulders mm-hmm. like men did and the clothing reflected that and in the 60s where we wanted to let it all hang out we did mm-hmm. we took the bras off and lifted the hemline so i'm not being frivolous here to say <laughs> the clothes indicate the change when i look in my wardrobe cuz i gift a lot of stuff but mm-hmm. i keep a lot too I can see the changes in uh, in the economy. I can see the changes in society by reflecting on what's in my closet as well. Yeah. It really is a big help to me. And some of the That's dun- an interesting vantage point, right? To, I mean, especially I think you know you, you are a visual brand as well, mm-hmm. and so I think that that going along with that journey and being able, it's like looking at. A, was looking through old photos recently mm-hmm, and I like, mm-hmm, and it just mm-hmm. took me back to like mm-hmm. what was happening culturally at that time. And also, you know, again, from a business perspective, how you survive those changes and shifts and, and survive to appetites. thrive. Right. Don't simply survive to live, right. survive to thrive. Yes. You know? And, and, and I say that dynamically because for women, for minorities, for, uh, which includes gays, a lot of us were, uh, surviving to live. Yes. You know, we just wanted to live and leave us our little space. And today, what's so exciting for me is uh, we're also having a louder voice and saying, we're not just going to live here. We're going to thrive here. Mm-hmm. We contribute to it and we want to benefit and enjoy it out loud with you, you know, um, and that's what's exciting and different. That's the big difference today. Well, speaking of surviving and thriving, you, there's a story in your book where you talk about there was a teacher and you were it was a history lesson and he said black people are perfect to be slaves i'm paraphrasing obviously yeah and mm-hmm. he got up on a desk and did mm-hmm. it you were the only black kid in that class yep. and you wanted to go home and your dad gave you some great advice but i think that that my my interpretation of that was also the amount of grit it takes to thrive, which is a great word you use, right? Because mm-hmm. we can all survive. Mm-hmm. Um, but to thrive and do well despite all the other inputs that co- happen around you, mm-hmm. do you think part of your success is rooted in incidents like that? You know, or is it just kind of like like where does that grit come from? Where you're like, all right, I see what you did. Let's let's keep it moving. So years ago, I was being honored uh, along with uh, Cicely Tyson. And uh, what was um, what was Miss Jefferson's name? Louis, oh, uh, Louis, Louise Jefferson's yes. name. Um, and George. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. yeah. And the Lawrence, only you'll get and Lawrence Fishburne. And I was like, how did I end up on this stage? I've asked myself that so many times in my <laughs> career. How did I end up on this stage? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but I was being honored for the work that I had done. And um, I remember one of the questions the interviewer asked was, uh, did all of the um, hardships and the, uh, in that instance, racism youth face uh, impact you and help you to be where you are now? And the great Cicely Tyson did speak eloquently to how it had done such. Uh, but when they asked Louise Jefferson, please help me to give her real name. Let's, let's get a Google search. Uh, please, please. Um, she answered, um, I didn't need the interference of racists to help me to be where I am today. Mm. My mother and father did a great job of elevating my consciousness. I would say my answer would echo hers. I have not needed the prejudices and the difficulties along my journey to elevate my ability nor my spirit right now to be where I am. Mom and dad did a great job of that. Um, because I know your dad, did a, or your dad in this specific instance did a great job because he said no one has the right to force you to decide how you feel about you. 
Absolutely. Dad said that. And much later, when I was in California visiting my sister, before I even thought about starting a company, I was just trying to figure out how to start myself day to day. I came to California and I I didn't look really pretty like all the uh, women I was meeting and all the black women I were meeting. For some reason, they were all light skinned with flow hair. And here mm-hmm. I am, dark skinned with the nappy well, hair. Well, they were styling And so. um, well, yeah, you know, now now I'm really hot and right. I can go yeah. natural yeah. and it can it's work. All, it's all right? I wasn't the fad at that point. <laughs> but I remember I was dealing with that. And my sister told me, you know, Jan, the, the space between your two ears is the most expensive real estate you'll ever own. Mm. Don't let people live there rent free. So she iteratively was giving me the same lesson my dad had given me all those years before. Um, And I think that as human creatures, we do sometimes have to be, uh, you know, we have to revisit the lessons that we've learned well. But the gift she gave me was the gift dad gave all of us. Dad thought he had truly, um, he had, um, and mom had given birth to the brightest, most beautiful people on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. And he always told us that. And mom always reminded us that pretty is as pretty does and that all of that comes with an obligation to be of service and to be thoughtful. Never elevate yourself above someone else. You can learn from everybody. And um, those are the kinds of things that we left the nest understanding. And um, in the flight of life, sometimes we have to go back to the nest And revisit and, you know, refuel. Uh, your children have had a very different experience growing up. And there's a quote that I love that says, uh, sometimes we try so hard to give our kids what we didn't have that we forget to give them what we did have. Yeah, yeah. Um, wh- how, how did you go about child rearing? Well, the truth is um, that African proverb that Hillary made popular here later, mm-hmm. it takes a village to raise a child. Um my family is that core village mm-hmm. and our kids have always been very present to where I grew up and how I grew up. Chris, it would be great to sit here and tell you I did that by strategy. I didn't. My family, you just, they're in your mm-hmm. face, mm-hmm. you know, and um, we see each other. We're very clannish. We love each other. And if somebody's not visiting Tarboro, then somebody's visiting California. And so there's always been that community of where my kids have been raised. And my kids go back to Tarboro, North Carolina, and they see the Tarboro I grew up in. Uh, they saw it for many years before the flood uh, because it didn't change that right. much. And so they do know that. And because of the work I do, on committee and in organizations, they've always been present with me to that. They know they are blessed mm-hmm. and they know that to whom much is given, much is required. They, they've they grown up understanding that. It would be great to be able to say, I designed it as such. Mm-hmm. I did not. The community I live in made it such. They prevented them from acting up. Yeah. Uh, um, so I have so much I want to get to, but we only have so much time in a day. Uh, we have to do this in, in Change the day. Change the day. The, yeah, there you go. The, uh, not seize the day. Mm-hmm. Change it. Mm-hmm. So uh, as you know, I've been on the board of an all-girls STEM school for uh, a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also recently started an, a STEM practice within Act One Group. Um, why and how did that come to be? You might say that all STEM is the thing that I've been working toward all my career, Hmm. uh, whether I knew it or not. Uh, All STEM is engaging talent with companies uh, in a way that supports women and minorities dynamically. And I am so excited about it. Peter Cavaglio, who uh, led my Agile One group for years, And I had several conversations before we determined that, um, yeah, now is the moment. This is the moment. And so he's now leading all STEM for me. And the work that we are doing is so incredible. We've formed a partnership with an organization called O-Hub. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Are you familiar? Rodney Sampson. Yeah. Yeah. I was just with Rodney over at um, Morehouse's campus when I mentioned being on Morehouse. That was was part of my book tour. You know what's really funny? 
the, so when I launched my book last year, uh-huh. that was the very first time I spoke about it was at OHUB at South by Southwest. It yeah. was literally like I had a, an event booked later that day, but I stopped by OHUB because all those college kids that yes. were there as part mm-hmm. of their group was like, I, it was amazing. I stayed there mm-hmm. for like four hours. Oh my God. I, just, oh my God. I was hanging and, out. And that felt short. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. It was, it was amazing. So yeah, shout yeah. out to Rodney. So, but yes. Yeah. And, 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 and so working with people like Rodney mm-hmm. is the direction I'm going. You know, we're going a, a little bit more gritty in, in terms of how we're doing this. And companies are really appreciating it, you know. Uh, for years, companies look for people who look like them. Mm-hmm. Now they want people who can help them to reinvent how they look. And uh, so when you're working with organizations like OHUB, you're, you're not going to miss, you know. It's, it's, just, it's just so incredible for me yeah. to have all STEM up and running and doing so well. All STEM thrived within 30 days of OHUB. That's historical. What? That's crazy. That's historical. Well, define thrive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, all STEM uh, customer mm-hmm. engagement, applicant availability, and matching those two to profit within thirty days. <laughs> wow. How um, incredible is that? Let's just hang out with you for 30 minutes. I mean, you can't even sell cupcakes that quickly, uh, right? Uh, I mean, you should, yeah, you see me trying to sell stuff. Yeah. Um, so the show's called Innovation Crush, mm-hmm. you, as, you, as you well know. Um, you've seen a lot, um, and we've talked about a lot. What do you see out in the world that you personally have an innovation crush on? Oh, geez. I think it's the next gen, the, 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 the newer generation is, is, is who I'm crushing on. And I say that collectively versus a technology or versus a movement, because I think that the way they're thinking and the way they're not thinking, there's so much opportunity to still jump in and help that to, um, to, 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 to framework mm-hmm. for who we are as, let, let me give you an example of why I say this. Um, been uh, interned in our company for a year. Ben is going back as a senior at university to a school in uh, Middle England. Mm-hmm. And you've got- Not Middle this, Earth. Huh? Not Middle Earth. That's, no, 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 okay, no, 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 no. I'm not calling his school out because I'm respecting <laughs> Ben's anonymity. Right. Uh, but Ben was a student. Uh, ben, ben worked in our company for a year as part of his exchange. And just before he was about to go back to England, I sat down with this six foot two redheaded uh, blue eyed fellow and asked him about his experience. <laughs> and he described how awesome it had been, what he'd learned and, you know, possibilities. You used the word uh, possibility earlier, possibilities that he saw. And um, our conversation continued and we got to a point where Ben was describing how, but he just didn't know if it was worth all of it. And I asked him why, because he was a very positive kind of, you know, party on the weekend guy. Mm-hmm. And he's described to me the world as he saw it. I saw Ben is going out as, you know, a champion in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. And he described the world, Chris, and he was saying he didn't know if it was worth it because he asked me, did I realize that the map of Europe had changed more in his lifetime than it had a hundred years before? He asked me if I had stopped to notice that when you walk into restaurants in much of England, you see signs on them that brag that they don't buy meat from America. He asked me, and wow. his, are you getting where I'm sure, going? Sure, yeah. Uh, the environment. The perspective, like just the, the things that... I think there's a lot more attention of things that we just never paid attention the fact to. That he and could, it matters. Right? Yeah, the fact that he could go into a mall and on point, Ben, ben said this, not me. He said, you know, on point, you can have 10, 20 malls blown, blown up at the same time across the world and take out people that way. So Ben's concerns, even beyond the excitement of working in a corporate office in America mm. to take that experience back to his business school, his excitement was being challenged by his concern about planet Earth and about the uh, geopolitical mm-hmm. environment that he will be a uh, working citizen in. Uh, Brexit changed his ideas. He started university thinking about one career path and Brexit changed out. And re- regardless of which side of the argument you're on around yeah. Brexit or, you know, any well, the political tension thing, of it alone he's a really... young person right. 
whose career is being defined differently than even a young person like you, your career was. Mm-hmm. You, you get what no, I'm saying? No, 100%. I, I would love to see somebody do sort of a neuroscience study, like on the collective and consciousness. That is around. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, like you, the, you know. The, the emotional intelligence, the inputs are that's very That's where my innovation different. crush is. That's amazing. That's yeah. where my innovation crush you know my is. Innovation crush is, is. Let's talk with, yeah, what is it? I don't know. Isabel Sanford. Oh, Isabel Sanford is Louise Jefferson's <laughs> name. Yes, we had to do that. Yes. We had to give kudos to her. And you know, the first apartment I ever had was uh, in uh, Park La Brea. Ah. And she was a resident there. So I would see her and I just loved her stature. But when I heard her answer uh, on that award night, it really blew my mind. I was like, yeah, you go, Isabel. I wonder if Wanda Sykes one day will have the same answer because she was in the Jefferson's live. Um, Last but not least, complete this phrase for me. Okay. Innovation to me is? Everything. Continue. Growing up in a community and in a home where religion and faith lived side by side, I knew that the argument around evolution, creation, and uh, humanity was something that I would um, need to understand in order to prevail in my own way. And as I have experienced so much change in how I live and do work, and so much non-change in how I live and do life. Mm. It's been really important to me to respect that at the end of the day, innovation is what is new in this moment. But in terms of whole life, nothing is ever new. We just experience it for the first time and the book is called act enough (laughs) that was uh extremely eloquent more eloquent than your usual um uh so tell where can people find the book um just going out like is it everywhere where i want people to go either to uh amazon Mm -hmm. or to walmart online to get the book Uh. and more importantly i want people to get the book read it and leave a positive review on amazon very important. And I want somebody to turn the book into a movie. It's pretty. It's, oh, it's pretty you know what? Somebody else asked me that. Yeah. Somebody, As a matter of fact, I had an actress. I don't have her, my permission to her permission to use her name, uh, but she's enjoying a really hot career right what now. What does it rhyme with? And I saw her. No rhyme. Oh. Facet. Facet, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you guys uh, heard the whisper uh, there. Fabulous, but that was, fabulous, was a... beautiful lady, right? <laughs> uh, from my home state of North Carolina. So do your homework. Anyway, uh, <laughs> she had asked me several years ago, we were on a dais together, and she said, oh, I want to do your life. I want to do your life in a movie. I don't know if she'll remember asking me this, but I kind of think she will because she's not a frivolous person, and she's actually gone on to produce as well as to act. Um, and... Um, I thought about her recently because I've had so many other people come up now. She asked me early on, and then I've had so many other people come up and ask about uh, doing the movie um, of my life. And I say, well, you know, I'm not done yet. You know, you want a good ending? Wait, it ain't happened yet. It can be a trilogy. Um, Thank you for coming by. And thank you for wearing an amazing outfit. He probably said it's fire. That's probably what he said. <laughs> um, everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush, and we will talk to you next time.